0: Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen.
1: What's up, everybody?
0: This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is reacting to the departure of Maryland's head basketball coach, Mark Turgeon, and just looking back at his tenure. But of course, we had to bring the guys on for this one. So introducing first, he is the host of the Impact, Please welcome Ian Evans.
2: What's going on, y'all? Been a minute, but you know we here, and there's 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 a lot to talk about. But yeah, we're here, we're here. And of
0: course, joined with us as well, co-host of the hoop talk, uh, co-host of the yeah, uh, Hear Me Out podcast. Almost said our name by accident. Please welcome Brooks Ford.
3: Thanks, guys, for having me, and uh, I'm ready to go talk about Maryland basketball, man.
0: So let's just start with the big news. Mark Turgeon, let go from the University of Maryland. He was there for 10 seasons. He was actually entering his 11th season this year, and he is 226-116 in 11 seasons, five NCAA tournament appearances. The farthest he went was in the Sweet 16 in 2016. He won 2014-2015 Big Ten Coach of the Year and also won the 2020 Big, Big Ten regular season title. Uh, before the season was canceled due to COVID-19. So let's just start with just initial reactions here to this news, because first of all, he just signed the extension that would have taken them up to 2026. And now he's gone after a, I guess, abysmal five and three start considering the expectations of this team, you know, just to just kind of put things into perspective, the Maryland men's basketball team was ranked 21st in the preseason AP Top 25. And I remember Jalen and I had a pretty interesting episode detailing that preseason AP Top 25 list. We, We had a kind of an interesting discussion on whether or not Maryland should have been put in that list. So I feel like it's only right to start with Ian on this one. Just initial reactions to Mark Turgeon's departure from the University of Maryland.
2: I mean, it was a long time coming, honestly. I, I tweeted. I said it was a long time coming. Look, here, here's the thing, man. Mark Turgeon has been consistently good, not great. And there's a difference between when, especially in the Big Ten, as coaching co- concerns, you need to be Consistently great. You can have an offseason or whatever compared to recruiting, but we talked about it before. He's not the best recruiter. That's one of the reasons why he got fired. That's one of the reasons why he should have got fired beforehand. Look, there's been multiple times where Maryland's been good, whether it be with the Ant Cowans or the Mellow Trimbles, you know, and I mean, and they've been good, but then when they got to the tournament, they didn't go nearly as far as we expected them to be. It's just simple as that. I mean, granted somewhere, you know, based on calls like the LSU year when Tremont Waters traveled or whatever, you can go back as long as that. But there's no excuse for that, really. There have been times where Maryland was expected to be good. I mean, great and ended up being good. So, I mean, I'm not surprised by it. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I think he's a good coach. I do. But in regards to, you know, when it comes to like the tournament and recruiting, He could have done so much better brooks and I and actually the whole everybody in here we're talking about the other day. We really could have we had a Dickinson in our bag bro he was right there man, and there is no way you leave him to Michigan man, there is absolutely no way and then and then on top of that you're going to tell a guy like James Graham a, a talent, a great talent, who could be used in so many ways, like James Graham oh you might as well just transfer what are we doing man so. like, Anyway, so. I'm glad his Dorito chip knows and everything else is out of there, but I do wish him all this. I, w- I do wish him all the best, though. I'm sorry, I had to say it. Built, built like a 45 degree angle, you know, like Phineas, Phineas and Fer, you know what I'm saying
1: <laughs> Anyway, oh my god,
2: but yeah, so that's what I gotta say.
0: Oh my. Well, god. the toxicity is prevalent here on this episode. We're only about five minutes in. Well, we're gonna talk. We're gonna talk more about James Graham later, but I want to actually get the opinion of Brooks on this one because Brooks has actually done a lot of writing and uh, scouting within the DMV area as well. Looking at up and coming basketball players within the DMV area. I know you, you, we, we know how you feel about the Hunter Dickinson situation when he chose Michigan and he really wasn't heavily recruit, recruited, by Maryland, the James Graham stuff with him going out the door, essentially, He pretty much violated team rules and then was, I guess, suspended by the team. He ended up just leaving after only playing in one game this year. So what are your initial reactions, Brooks?
3: Man, don't even get me started on Hunter Dickinson, man. The man said it all when he said, I wanted to go to Maryland, but you know, they just weren't recruiting me hard enough. And I've, I've had multiple discussions with, like, other Maryland reporters or just, like, high school, other, other people that do the same thing I did, just going out to high schools and seeing high school players play. And they were all upset about it, too. And they were all like, yeah, there's no reason why. There's no reason why, like, this, this you have a 7-2 center. I mean, damn near McDonald's All-American, and he doesn't choose Maryland. And he wanted to go to Maryland. And I just don't understand why, one, you don't go in as early as you can And two, you don't recruit him as hard as you possibly can either. Like, It's like he just took it, or he took, he, I I guess the word would be he just uh, took it for granted that Maryland guys would want to go to Maryland. And sometimes, you know, you're going to want to leave the state and leave home, but I don't think that was the case. And I I say the same thing for for Trevor Keels, too. Trevor Keels should have had Maryland in his top three or top four, at least. And he ended up, he ends up going to Duke. Imagine if... Trevor kills had those type of performances he had against Kentucky against let's say like Ohio state or whoever it may be. He would be in Maryland lore forever. He, he, and he probably would have been uh, Mark Turgeon's like second um, one and done prospect after diamond stone. So it's just, look, I don't, I don't usually praise a man losing his jobs. I don't like to see that, but like, I am completely fine with this happening. He should have never gotten an extension in the first place. You're basically just praising mediocrity. It, come on maryland this is this is the flagship school of the state you're supposed to be a basketball school and you're worried about everything else but basketball do better please do better
0: jalen i guess in our lifetime we've only been around two coaches gary williams and mark turgeon what are your initial reactions right now in mark turgeon's departure
1: So first of all, I was kind of surprised because it just seemed like a very weird trigger for them to pull. Like, it didn't seem like a Maryland move. Maybe that maybe that was the first thing that threw me off. Um, I think after that kind of brushed over, like the next thought process was like what everybody else said in terms of the idea that like maybe it was like too little, too late. Um, If you guys don't remember, we actually did the episode when he got the extension. And there was similar energy then that it was like, where did this come from? What was the purpose? Um, is this really the guy I mean, that we want to have extended?
3: That was a on one good playoff run. It's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, so it's just like, I mean, we talked about that briefly then, and it was just one of those things where, like, for me, the way I view it, um, I don't know, man. It's just one of those things. We'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more in the part where we talk about, like, what he did good and what he did bad. But it's just, like, one of those things for his tenure where – especially in the Big 10 not producing pros I think is like one of the biggest things that was like so interesting about his time frame um the Big 10 has a lot of guys that's occupying the NBA right now and Maryland has a very very tiny pool within that grouping and Brooks said something that was like that really hit me tough we could have had Hunter and Trevor at the same time like I mean, not literally, but, like, this year, they would both be on the same team, right, if everything goes as, as, like, it already has. And me and Brooks were talking about Trevor Keels before anybody was gassing him after the first game of the season because that's where it started. Nobody was on Trevor's nuts because everybody was talking about Wendell Moore and talking about Paulo Benchero and stuff like that for that Duke team. And Trevor Kills had a, had a coming out party in game one, and that's where it started. But we were already on the train thinking he was going to be pretty solid off rip. So to know that, like again, I think we harp on this every time we talk about Maryland, but for the for them to not pick dudes out the backyard and seeing them produce in a different area, that's painful, man. That is painful. Like, it just doesn't make sense.
0: I mean, you could talk about the transfer portal this year, which was arguably the most loaded transfer portal ever essentially i mean most of them committed to texas alone and then you know you have their earl timberlakes who you know he was a guy who probably should have been at maryland as well but the thing that just gets me is that you have to fill the shoes of the legendary gary williams what was the knock on gary williams before he won national championship he couldn't make it past the sweet 16 this is literally the same thing with mark turgeon except he made it to the sweet 16 and just didn't even go remotely close to the Elite Eight. The big expectations, I think, when we last talked about Maryland, I, I think the big thing was we they needed a Final Four run, essentially. And this was the team that had that chance to make the Final Four run. The 2019-2020 team, when they won the Big Ten title, they had a chance to make that run. Unfortunately, COVID shut the season down. But this was... This was one of his most talented teams in his entire tenure. And they're five and four right now. He was they're actually five and three when he was ultimately when, when he was ultimately let go from the University of Maryland. But the thing is, you look at the schedule, and I've I've watched this team pretty closely this year. They should be nine and no, honestly. They've had one decisive victory this year, and it was against Quinnipiac. 83-69. It was arguably their most complete game. If you look at the last eight games, they've had to come from behind. Look at who they've had to play this year. They've had to play George Washington, Vermont, George Mason, Richmond, Louisville. Obviously, these aren't bad teams because, like, we talk about Vermont. I mean, they've always been, like, at the top of their conference for years. George Mason's an up-and-coming program in and of itself with a new head coach and a star forward in Joshua Adoro. But, like, you... These are games that Maryland should be winning. If, if we're putting them at this at this standard of a top 25 program, then you should be able to beat a Virginia Tech. Because you weren't able to beat a Virginia Tech, you obviously heard the chance of Fire Turgeon. If you watch that game, the student section obviously has had, had enough of Mark Turgeon, so they've pretty much been saying Fire Turgeon throughout the entire game. You know, it's, it's just the little things. You know, you look at recruiting. Not saying in Maryland for that. You look at you know the winning percentage. You should be beating Penn State. You should be beating Northwestern. Safe to say, you know these these out of conference games. You should be beating George Washington by more than twenty points. You should be beating Vermont by more than fifteen points if you have the talent that Maryland has on this team. So I mean, it's pretty safe to say that he's underwhelmed. And um, we're going to get into a little bit later that he wasn't even the top option. That Maryland had in mind when they were looking for a new coach. That's kind of my thoughts on it. Let's move on to the stuff that he did that was good and also stuff that hurt the program. So this time I want to start with Jalen. Um, what were some of the things that he did well? And what were some of the things that he did that hurt the program?
1: So I think what he did well, and it's kind of a it's kind of a double standardy thing because it's something that we've held against him, but it's also something that I feel is been part of why people have given a chance is that he's consistent, right? Um, Ian touched on it continuously where he said when we needed them to be great, he was always good. We were never out of the mix. There weren't many times, if any, where we were really having consecutive you know, droughts in terms of like the making the NCAA tournament, things of that nature, right? In terms of meeting the expectation of being one of those, you know, one of those programs to to potentially make a run. Um, and so you have to kind of credit him for the fact that we were always in play. Um, but Turgeon kind of had this weird like. So, so you know how I'll use this as an example. You guys know how the stipulation up until this year when it came to Michigan was that Harbaugh just couldn't get over Ohio State, right? That was like always like the big thing. Well, 2019-2020 absolved, it just never seemed like Maryland was actually in the mix atop the Big Ten. Like it never seemed like they were actually really in the discussion. You know what I mean? As a team that would come out of the Big Ten. And that's the thing that I think is the most difficult to cope with when you look at some of the talent that has come through when you look at some of the talent that's been passed on that also obviously has its own effect on things but to know that like it's almost like being like oddly mediocre like because you're good but you're not like good enough for us to worry about it's like it's like when you get the 15th pick in the NBA draft. Like, it's like, you didn't get a lottery pick, but you're not so down low that maybe you could still take a swing for somebody. That's kind of how Turgeon operated. Now, in terms of being bad, I guess, or how he hurt the program, we've all harped on his recruiting process. But something else that really got on me is, can you guys name a guy who's genuinely developed under Mark Turgeon for Maryland? Like, I'm not even talking about, like, turning to a pro, but, like, genuinely like genuinely developed, because I've seen a handful of guys step out and be a lot better in different situations Ryan you're seeing this at Marquette now we joke about this all the time but I feel like that is a little bit of a blimp in the system but nonetheless just like I, I'll get you guys perspectives on it because I genuinely do kind of wonder like Brooks like you, you would kind of shake your head uh yeah you shaking your head kind of saying like yeah there's kind of some guys in there so who are like some guys you feel like have genuinely developed under Turgeon, Though again, it doesn't have to be like NBA level, but like you saw an incremental, you know, uh, you saw them get better over time under him.
3: I mean, the obvious one. I, I feel like you're probably going to mention is Kevin Waiter. I mean, oh, but he came in. Right. He came in with like NBA size, NBA shooting. You know what I mean? But he just had, he just had a great chance to really show that off. And he, I mean, sophomore year he was tremendous, and that's how he got into the NBA. Um, and, you know, again, I, 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 I don't want to give him credit, but I can give Mark Tarjan credit for sending that confidence in him and allowing him game again into his bag. I'd also put in Anthony Cowan over there, too, because he was, like, the quintessential Maryland guy, and he ends up leaving with this tremendous career at that college. I mean, the dude did everything he possibly could. He didn't achieve everything he wanted to. He did everything he possibly could for that program, and he leaves as one of the all-time greats for that program. Um, uh, those are the two main guys I mean you can you can throw in sticks in there as well because if you had told me he would have been a close to an, a lottery pick or a first round pick I probably wouldn't have believed you his freshman year but right. again he's just another guy who really benefited from playing with Anthony Cowan and playing with Mark Turgeon and again he surprised a lot of people being a lottery pick and I, I got to give him credit for that as well
1: Ian, I, how do you feel about it, bro? Because like that's my thing. That might be one of the biggest things that I wonder about him. Because again, not everybody is going to turn into a pro through, um, through the Big Ten. Although they have a lot of products, but it just seems like overall, from a developmental standpoint, again, part of that stagnance is also just the fact that it doesn't. It just feels like people don't improve under Turg. Now I, I could be wrong, but. I don't know it just doesn't seem like he's really brought the best out of too many guys like Brooks can name three in a 10 11 years like like 10 years that's kind of rough
2: I mean (laughs) so yeah I mean I I think he kind of helped some guys progress I think uh, when, I, when I look at it, like, I, I do agree with Ant Cowan. Honestly, I honestly already thought Kevin Hurd was already like that, honestly. Like, when we when we had him, I was like, he's already an NBA-type shooter anyway. D- the confidence thing was, was, I think, helped with the coaching. Um, but let me throw two names out there. I don't know if it's on them or him. I think this is just up for debate. Um, Diamond Stone was supposed to be great. He was supposed to be great. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, when we got him, we were like, dog, we could go nattywood did no he didn't anyway but um you know got drafted by the clippers and you know under doc rivers and you know seeing who he's had as big men uh you would think coaching wise it would work no the, the man plays in taiwan now anyway so my, my thing is he helped some guys like i generally think Ant cowan especially because i played with and against him that he's he was the perfect maryland prototype honestly like a perfect maryland guard prototype yes it did help that he played under uh trimble for what one or two i think it was a year but um he was the perfect maryland prototype but uh, look look man the, the thing with mark turgeon we talked about recruiting we talked about you know kind of making sure that some of these guys are somewhat nba ready i kind of wanted that i think that might have hurt him in that in that recruiting sense because look when you look at guys like Melo was supposed to be great that's another thing Melo was supposed to be great granted he's, he's balling overseas don't get me wrong he is balling overseas but people were like dog especially in Mars Madness people are like dog he's gonna be crazy for like he could be a franchise point guard people were people outside of Maryland were saying that that's how good he was supposed to be then, you know, then, you know, some stints with the Sixers G League and all that type of stuff, things just didn't work out. Maybe that's one of the reasons why sometimes that recruiting thing doesn't work out. Because like, hmm, can I get well prepared under a Mark Turgeon for the NBA or can I get better prepared under a, I don't know, a Calipari or a Coach K or a, granted, Roy Williams isn't there anymore, but when he was active under Roy Williams, you know what I mean? So I think that might be part of the problem. Look. It's kind of weird how you can bring in exceptional talent and then not really produce them well enough to a point where they can exceed in, succeed in the NBA. So like, here, here's, here's a good point of mine. Oh, look, and, and going back to recruiting, I hate going back to it, but I have to talk about it. I went to Dayton, we know this. Um, do you know how much of Fats Russell I've seen? I, when, when I saw the news, that, we, that he transferred to Maryland, I was like, here we go, bro. And people are like, what do you mean? Like, he might get better. You know, it's a, you know, Maryland's a better team than Rhode Island. You're, yes, but you're looking at the wrong things. He doesn't shoot confidently. Coaches cannot help him with that. Do you think Mark Turgeon was going to help you? He doesn't shoot 30% from three, and he is a point guard. He should be doing this. He's not even doing that well playmaking wise. But you want, Man. Anyway, so th- that's, that's my thing. Sure, I think his ability to make guys in the NBA caliber players isn't on par with a lot of other coaches in the Big Ten. Look at Juwan Howard. Look what he's been doing. Oh, my goodness. You know how many people are going to be fiending for Hunter Dickinson, especially the way he's going to be playing. I think the way I think he's going to be playing the rest of the year. So, I mean, I think that's just a knock on it. Last thing I will say, because we will talk about it. If we decide to give Danny Manning a contract, I'm out. I'm out. Do you know how bad he was at Wake Forest? He had one year going above 500. One. I don't care for interim, because blow up the season in my opinion, if we keep him as our head coach. I don't care. But if we keep him next year with the, with the people we could bring in as a head coach, and this is a highly, like this is a gem of a, of a coaching tree, like of a coaching position out there when you look at it. A lot of coaches want this job. If we keep Danny Manning, I'm on watch. I'm good. Let
0: me say one thing real quick though. What does it say about Mark Turgeon's coaching tenure? That he had so much talent in and out of that program. And for five guys to actually make an NBA roster, to actually play on an NBA court. I mean, I could count them all on one hand. I mean, Jake Lehman. You can say him, Kevin Herder, him, uh, Melo Tremble. I think played some minutes uh, on a pro roster.
2: You can say Aaron Wiggins now too. Aaron, I guess. Aaron Wiggins
0: now. Yeah. Bruno Bruno Fernandez played some minutes. So that's five.
1: Aaron Aaron is on an NBA roster because Aaron is has the prototypical build of a of a of a overall two way two way three. That's that's the only. I don't again. That that goes to my development point where it's like. I do not think that anything he did in Maryland specifically in terms of like getting better under Turgeon or anything, even, okay, I'll even use him as an example. He was a better three-point shooter in high school. He was a way better three-point shooter in high school in his first like season. I think, I think his first season at Maryland was probably one of his better three-point shooting stints, like within that, within that time frame that he was there. So he actually digressed as a shooter and was almost relying more on his, on his athleticism the last like year and a half year or two seasons. So that kind of goes back to it. Like even those, that's one of those where you, okay, you have that name in the bank, but go back to what Ian said about Kevin Herter. Like, okay, Herter's a guy who we like thought was NBA bound and just happened to play at Maryland. Aaron Wiggins tested the water. A lot of people thought he wasn't going to get drafted and the prototype that he is ended up getting him, through the door and now he's on OKC getting getting solid minutes. So like yeah that's I mean my, that's my he point.
3: He, came, he went into the combine and did really well. I mean mm-hmm. Diamond Stone he I think he played 20 games in like three years or whatever it may have been. Melo, we know Melo and um and Rashid I think Tuliman too, they took a cup of coffee in the league or in the summer league basically like yeah you know it's again and you know what we're we're talking about Mark Turgeon's inability to recruit. But I'll give him credit for being able to recruit and re recruit a couple of Burger Boys. You're talking about Rashid Suleiman, you're talking about Melo, you're talking about um, uh, Diamond Stone, um, Jalen Smith, of course. Like that's four in 10 years. A, a lot of guys aren't able to do that ever. So I got to give him credit for that. But again, the fact that you take for granted where you are DC, Maryland, and Virginia, there's no reason why you don't go hard for it. For, any five-star or four-star guy that's in the area Does it maryland and maybe it's because we're homers and maybe it's because we expect so much out of the program but like not not every guy's gonna want to stay at home obviously but you should definitely be a threat to any program in order to get these guys in your backyard again we're the mecca of basketball there's no reason why they don't consider it
2: i will say one thing just one thing i know i've been getting on him i'm gonna say actually one thing that's that's good about him i'm not gonna lie like in his first seven seasons, he went to the tournament five times. That's just very good, you know. Like especially, you know, coming right out. But uh yeah, I mean, I don't know. if You know, kind of to Brooks' point, you know, I don't know if it is because we are homers, but look, when you good thing I'm not fully like a D.M.V. fan of every sport because goodness gracious, Lord knows where I would be mentally anyway. But. No, but like, seriously, like i am you know, been a Maryland basketball fan my whole life, but like, I still know how every other, you know, Maryland, DC, Baltimore teams have been in the past. Like th- one of the best things besides, you know, the Ravens, you know, doing well, usually they're that's kind of tough right now anyway. But you know, when UMBC won, you know, when, when they upset Virginia, the people talk about that, like almost every day when you like talk about college basketball, because there's not really too much to celebrate when it comes to a lot of DMV stuff when it comes to college. I mean, look, like Maryland there's it's like a cycle especially with football you start good you go to big 10 play and then things go downhill that's exactly what happened this year that's what happens every year when Maryland basketball is talked about outside of the DMV people are usually like man they can give people some problems they can give people some problems especially you know the year when you know COVID canceled everything but even even the year when we lost to LSU people are like man they can give people some problems but like now it's like okay, there's a question mark around this team. If you're looking at the outside looking in, it's more like, okay, there's a question mark around this team. And, you know, where do you go from here? But I will say, it's not like Mark Turgeon was horrible. There have been horrible coaches, but we, we expected more. Especially
0: by like Maryland standards, you know, he underwhelmed severely, especially considering who the coach was before him. It was Gary Williams and you know, he's arguably the greatest coach in Maryland history. And he brought us the national championship in 2002, took us to the final four the year before that in 2001. Mark Turgeon doesn't have any of that to his record. And I actually forgot i forgot to mention Alex Len was another Maryland guy that went through uh, Maryland under Turgeon. And he's gotten a lot of years under his belt in the NBA. But, you know, it, it's it's safe to say, that all of Mark Turgeon's teams could have done significantly better especially that that sweet 16 team in uh 2016 that was a team that I thought had final four aspirations but ended up losing to Kansas in the uh sweet 16 but it just it it just never really it, he's just never been able to get past the sweet 16 and credit to him for turning around the Maryland program and getting them back to close to Maryland standards like he did in 2014, but ultimately he wasn't able to match that. And it's, it's just unfortunate that he was not able to bring Maryland another national championship. But uh, I, I want to talk about something else that's actually hurt the program, essentially, and we didn't mention it yet. We might have mentioned it on previous episodes. The move from the ACC to the Big Ten. This, in my opinion, hurt the program, a lot. I mean, it, it took. Let's think about the history of Maryland and the ACC. Think about all the rivalries. Think about who they've had to play. Those Maryland Duke games in the 2000s were must watch TV. And nobody can tell me that they weren't must watch TV. When you have Juan Dixon, when you have like JJ Redick, John Gilchrist, you know, all the great Duke stars and Maryland stars of the 2000s going head to head every single year. It's must-see TV, especially also considering North Carolina. How great was North Carolina during that run in the 2000s? So that's two historic rivalries that we pretty much just left in the dust with our move to the Big Ten. Can anyone here name me a rivalry right now between Maryland and a team in the Big Ten? No. Okay, so so that pretty much answers my question. We don't have a true rival in the. We don't have a true rival in the Big Ten. All of our history and all of our rivals championships, you know, besides of course the big 10 championship that we won, you know, we had that championship. Other than that, I mean, you know, we really haven't developed a rivalry with any teams, you know, I guess, I guess the Maryland Duke rivalry is pretty much over the Maryland, North Carolina rivalry is almost pretty much over. I, I would have loved to see this team go up against a Florida state team led by Leonard Hamilton. I would have loved to see this team, go up against and play more games against a Virginia team that has always really had top defense under Tony Bennett. But that, that's just something that I think has just really hurt the program. And I, I think it's unforgivable that Mark Turgeon moved the program from the ACC to the Big Ten. I actually want to get your guys' thoughts on this before we get to Danny Manning's coaching tenure so far with Maryland. Brooks, I'll actually start with you on this one because – I kind of want to get your thought, your thoughts first on the move from the ACC to the Big 10 and how you feel about it and what what sort of impact Maryland had in the ACC that they really haven't had in the Big 10.
3: I mean, listen. You talk about that move from from the ACC to the to the Big 10. I mean, again, Maryland is was like historically or at least for like I mean, you can really say like two decades at least from the 90s and or yeah, like 80s, 90s, 2000s, I guess you could really say they were traditionally like close to a powerhouse. I wouldn't say they were a powerhouse, but definitely very close. And you think about all those great guys that they had from like Glenn Bias, Mont um, Dixon against Steve Blake, James Kilkers, um, Grievous Vasquez, Jordan Williams, Terrell Stoglin, when he was there for like two years. I mean, there was a lot of great guys that came through this program, and they all had some great ACC memorable moments. I remember maryland beating duke i remember that i remember the miracle minute i remember all these different things going on i remember grievous vasquez and all this craziness going on i mean probably my all-time favorite player to ever come out of the program so to leave all that tradition for monetary reasons it does hurt you know what i mean you don't have that same history playing against ohio state purdue michigan um uh penn state whoever it may be like Who these guys? They they don't matter to people our age, the OGs that we have. Anybody like that? Like you want to play against Duke and UNC? The fact that Maryland isn't playing Duke or UNC in the Big Ten ACC challenge, the fact that we're basically been avoided, that rivalry's been avoided since beginning of the of this of the 2010s is ridiculous. Like that is a marquee rivalry, even if Duke doesn't think so. Like it matters to Marylanders and it matters to these guys. Imagine the players. So it should be played. It should be considered at least. So it do, It did hurt me when I saw that because I was like, why even do it? And, I and you know, the school's reasons were oh, it's always going to help save some of these programs and we're not going to have to, you know, get rid of track and whatever it may be. But, like, this is a very well-funded school. It's not like they were ever worried about dropping anything. It's not like they had to worry about not getting funded. You get funded by Kevin Plank at Under Armour. You know, you, you, you just wanted to do it because you wanted to be a football school and you wanted to improve football. And and now look at you. You're a lot worse in the Big Ten than you were in the ACC. You could have been ending with the Clemsons or the Florida States if you really took care of business, and that didn't happen. And I think that's another interesting thing, too, because we know Ralph Fridgen, he got he basically got fired, and they wanted to bring in a young coach who was 10 times worse than he really was. And Ralph Fridgen got fired after bringing the, the team to a great bowl win. We had Randy Etzel, who was terrible. He didn't do He didn't do anything. We got Loxley. Now we got uh, what's his name that was responsible for a player passing away. I mean, it seems like the, the program, the school, has, has really been in a downturn. I would say for football, basketball, like middling programs that should be a lot better. Because again, we expect a lot better from these schools, but you know it's just not going to happen. And um, I don't know. I'm I'm complaining a whole lot. Like, oh, gosh, I don't know. It's just it hasn't been a great move for me. I wish that Maryland wasn't back in the ACC though, because again, great memories, great time watching those games. Um, yeah, you know, that's about it. Jalen,
0: I know it's it's pretty safe to say as a Maryland fan the move from the ACC to the Big Ten has left a bitter taste in our mouths, pretty safe to say, especially with all the history that we left behind the ACC. So I wanted to get your perspective not only on the move from the ACC into the Big Ten or to the Big Ten and how it's pretty much hurt this program. It's, it's done more bad than good, essentially.
1: I mean, the easiest way for me to look at it is that Maryland's not taken seriously in the Big Ten like I think that's just like the easiest way to phrase it is because you, you talk about the rivalries specifically and granted this transition hasn't been that long, but again, it comes down to the idea of not being really taken seriously uh, at the top of the big 10. Like again, the 2019 2020 year was probably the year to kind of put the stamp uh, for Maryland to put the stamp on the big 10 and let them know that they're there, but without NCAA tournament play, it kind of just like the hype around it was washed away. Right. And uh, Ryan, me and you joke about this on the side all the time that it seems like every single year we come into the AP poll and it's like 40, 21, 23. There's, they're always somewhere in the mix. And the running joke for us is it's just like interesting preseason false hope. Like, like Maryland has, Maryland fans live life in a way that is like similar to like the Kings or something nowadays in terms of this idea of coming in with prospectus that like, Oh, we have at such and such. And, you know, under these circumstances, this, that, and third. And if you build off the of last year and like, it's a whole lot of like past tense ways of like creating like present hope when it comes to Maryland basketball and especially in the big 10, which is pretty solid from top to bottom. Like it's one of those things where at least in the ACC, there was some pre-established things taking place where, you know, teams kind of knew what was up when it came to Maryland, even with being middle of the pack, you kind of knew what was up over there. But the big 10 is almost like a big boys league above when you talk about what, what Maryland was coming from to what Maryland is now in. Now I don't think the ACC is bad or anything like that, but I think a team that wasn't ready to make a big boy step move to a big boy league. And that doesn't add up. The math doesn't add up. And the thing is the
0: ACC is no joke. You know, you look at the teams. I mean, I can name five teams that always are in play for the NCAA tournament. I mean, you look at Duke and North Carolina, you can easily pencil them in. Florida state has always been an underrated program with a Leonard Hamilton at the helm. You look at Clemson. I mean, they had they've had a couple guys that are pretty good basketball players. They've also racked up a lot of wins as well. You know, Virginia as well. I mean, they, they they won the national championship in 2019, and that that program is no joke. Virginia Tech as well. I mean, that's six programs right there that are all viable competition in the in the ACC. It's not like they, they don't have good teams to play because there's a bevy of good teams in the ACC that Maryland can play ian i just want to get your perspective on this as well because like i mentioned earlier this this move has not that has not been received well by a lot of maryland fans and i assume you're one of those maryland fans that uh doesn't like the move either is that correct or um how Uh, how do you feel about the move
2: uh i would say yes and no um it's it's not good for basketball, but for the program, at, like as a whole, like across sports, I actually think it does work, because when you actually look at it, and I did look into it once, um, you know, like after years after we moved to the Big Ten, if it was a, you know, a good move overall, technically it is, I hate saying it, but technically it is because it's a money move, and it actually has worked out well for the program as a whole, um, especially money-wise, I think like, what is it, it's Viewership wise, I think ACC makes like, you know, yearly is like 34 million compared to the Big Ten, which is like 54 million. Obviously, it's a money move. But in terms of basketball, no, obviously. I mean, we don't really, like you said, you know, we don't really have like a rival in, you know, the Big Ten. I, I think Turgeon tried last year with Juwan Howard, but that, no, that, that didn't work anyway. But I mean, <clears throat> when you look at it overall, I really do think that, um, it, it technically does help the program as a whole not necessarily the basketball program specifically because it, yeah especially for football we knew this was going to happen but i mean overall it's it, it's it sucks to say because i do miss you know the the maryland duke rivalries i do miss them playing even north carolina you know even even schools like that but it's, it's just one of those where they valued viewership and you know putting people in the stands over okay does it actually help you know a program that was kind of known for being in the acc to kind of now being kind of like taken as sometimes a joke um in the big 10. so uh i mean i'm up and down on it but you know as a whole i will say if it didn't do anything for money then why but uh yeah so just money wise it does make sense but yeah it is what it is
0: so let's talk about the new coach danny manning and Ian, you kind of alluded to it earlier. I kind of want to further explain that point. He has only had one winning season as a coach in the power five level. And the one winning season he had at Wake Forest, the team was defeated in the first four of the NCAA tournament. Every other season he had finished with a below 500 record, but it seems like Maryland wanted to give Danny Manning a shot considering he had coaching experience at the power five level. So Ian, I'll actually start with you again on this one. What are your expectations for him as the coach of the University of Maryland men's basketball team?
2: My expectation is I don't care. I don't. I just don't care anymore, bro. I mean, like, if granted, so the the one thing I will say about the turn firing it was it was weird timing, like especially being in five and three, it was a little bit of weird timing. But look, I mean, Danny Manning he's like a below average coach, in my opinion. I'm not. I'm not even gonna lie to you, like um that wake forest team that you know went to the first four yes they were somewhat of a solid team but i mean look you're going from again a wake forest program that's kind of taken as a joke in the acc when you really think about it besides the football besides the football team but um we really think about it kind of taken as a joke in basketball to okay you're coming into maryland who fans already have high expectations the ad already has high expectations and then obviously Turgeon goes down. So if you're putting an interim, like, you know, head coach role, you're supposed to do something to kind of prove yourself to say, okay, I should be the head coach of this team. I don't care. I don't care. Look, look, I mean, look, like, if you look at the schedule, matter of fact, let me, let me, let me even just pull it up. Like, Florida, dude, it's, I don't even want to watch the game. I mean if, if it's good you know we'll see but dude it's florida i'm gonna I'm be very very sad but then you know you're playing good teams like michigan you know uh wisconsin goodness gracious you know like it's going i don't really expect much from him i don't know his system that well i mean I, do i really need to he, he, <laughs> he was the coach for wake forest i don't care i just don't um but here to actually answer the question uh not be facetious let me actually be positive for once Your expectation is to be above 500. It's basically where you should be right now. Just be above 500. Implement a system that can somewhat help the players. Implement a system that can help Eric Ayala right now, because goodness gracious, we need him to do something. Granted, he's been no, no. I'm not even going to give him that. We need him to do something. But implement a system where you can get your guys like Eric Ayala. God forbid, (laughs) Fats Russell. and even guys like dante scott who can be used in different ways to get to that 500 spot because when you go into big 10 play it's going to be interesting now uh like look i mean it, i will say this do we even play we do play nebraska at one point don't, yeah we do if we lose to nebraska i'm out i don't care nebraska sucks i cannot anyway but look it's it's not that hard to be an interim coach for maryland who actually has some talent on the team i will say that Granted, it is the Big Ten, but I will say it's not hard to go 500 with a team like this. So my expectation, just get at or above 500. If you go anywhere below that, we're going to talk. I might have to fly back.
0: Jalen, you looked confused for a quick moment. I wanted to see why you were confused.
1: Oh, it's just because of the Nebraska thing. I think Nebraska is actually going to be pretty interesting in Big Ten play. I think that'll be when we really see the best out of them. They've been okay-ish so far, but – um. I mean, my main thing when it comes to Maryland the rest of the year, like, I, they just can't be the team. They can't be that team in the Big Ten that's the pick-on team, you know what I mean? The team where to get your conference wins up, this is the squad you got to get, you know, you got to get those dubs against because they're considered the the game you should have won, right? If you talk about some of like the other uh big 10 <laughs> teams that are like that we typically discuss being in the mix. I mean, truthfully, when it comes to Danny Manning, unless he plans on channeling his inner 1987 and getting his tail on the court, I don't really know what he's gonna be able to do for us like long term. So it's tricky. So I think Ian's perspective of it is actually the most fair one. Um where we're not looking too far ahead in terms of what he's going to do with the full season as the actual head coach and focus more on his interim role, which is just Make this team look solid enough to the point that our recruiting class doesn't look at this team sideways in a year, like pretty much right. Because right now it looks very turmoil filled to the point that, like, especially after seeing as crazy, like, as crazy of a free agent like transfer portal that we just had. If this season just completely goes into like tank mode, like, we know that the NCAA is not scared to let guys transfer and play right away. So like you can't create that kind of environment underneath of whoever we decide to go with forward. But like I said, unless Danny Manning planning on hopping back on the court, I, I don't I don't know exactly what he's gonna do for his long term. So I think the idea is just to focus on just getting through the season 500. Like Ian said, tournament I'm not even worried about no more. I think it just needs to be about putting good enough product on the court to keep the, to keep the guys there happy and keep the guys who are committed still committed.
0: <laughs> Brooks, same question to you because um, the, the interesting takeaway I had from his first game was that Maryland was a terrible three-point shooting team the entire season, but they shot 43% from three as a team against Northwestern in their last game. So maybe there's some silver lining to him being a coach that he can improve some stuff and maybe turn this team around, but I want to get your thoughts, Brooks, on what you expect from Danny Manning.
3: Yeah, I'm completely with Ian and Jalen on the fact that uh, you got to be able to maintain this program and make sure that you're at 500. Again, as an interim coach, even though you've been on set for a good little minute, you're going to have to re-recruit these guys and make sure that they're staying around. So make sure that, you know, everybody stays happy, that everybody gets some type of playing time, some type of de- ability to develop, because that's the world we live in now. You don't get any time. You don't get any chance to show off who you really are. You're going to end up leaving that team unless you're, Really, really patient, and let's face it, that doesn't happen. That happens often, but it doesn't happen often, often. You know what I mean? So that's just my concern. That's my main concern. Again, um I don't know. It's just like like Ian said too. There, uh, Danny Manning is a coach that had one 500 season, above 500 season, with John Collins there, uh Brandon Childress, whoever whoever else it might be, and those. It, it was like four guys that end up playing overseas or in the NBA so it's not like we're again having a coach that's bringing in hella pros and hella guys that got a a lot of potential you know what I mean that's just not his MO so again I'm I'm just expecting them to tread water and do well enough to just keep guys around and make sure that they want to you know play basketball for Maryland
2: I don't expect him to improve on anything three point shooting wise. Do you know how tough it is to take? If you can, matter of fact, bro. If you can guess, if you can guess, uh, matter of fact, uh, let's make it a game. I'll let's just go around. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let me see y'all hands up real quick. Let me see y'all hands up because I don't want y'all cheating. I'm gonna go yeah. around. I'm gonna go around. If you can guess where we are, and I'll I'll do like over under like if, if you're like within 10 to 20 on the on the rank where we are on three point percentage this year i'll demo you five bucks i will all right Jalen, where do you think we are out of how many programs are we going We like in the country yeah yeah why not this is just this is just this is just just to show you how you can't improve the shooting with
1: three thirty
2: okay all right uh ryan
0: i just saw you. this I, I just saw this the other day i think it's like
3: 334
2: Okay, all right, uh Brooks. Okay,
3: so if we're saying the three thirties, I'll say I'll say like three thirty-six.
2: No, well, technically, you <laughs> I can understand why. We have three ten. I I'm still closest. I'll think this is still close. <laughs> it's still very close. It's still very close. It's still very close. It's not lie. great though. 310? <laughs> yeah, that's what 310? We are shooting. I, what is it? Where is it? 28% from three in the mm-hmm. big ten. I'm not expecting Danny Manning to improve anything we can't shoot air how do you do that oh man how do you do that <laughs> look there is no way you should be around marshall and mcneese state <laughs> that's vicious i'm sorry i'm sorry bro it's laughable bro that is but like huh? No, look, don't get me wrong. Right. I do understand what you're saying with, you know, trying to improve in these categories. But Danny Manny is not the guy to do that. But uh, uh, let me.
0: I I think I'm convinced Maryland basketball has broken all of us.
2: Well, no, I'm not broken just yet. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'll be broken once. Oh, granted, this is not an NBA episode. But come Christmas, we'll see how my Celtics are doing anyway. um, But yeah, I'm not broken yet, but that's going to be a day. Good God. My mental state. Anyway, I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, the uh Celtics lost to the Lakers last All
2: night. All right.
0: <laughs> sorry, I just had to bring it up real oh quick. My it was God, uh, it there. was it's just it's a it's a huge, uh huge loss for in season implications, but uh considering the Lakers were uh around the record of the Celtics, it doesn't seem too bad on paper. But um, just,
2: I just don't like losing to them.
0: But yeah. I understand where you're coming from, rivalry purposes, much like what we talked about with Maryland and Duke. But uh, let's actually talk about uh, the coaches and what could have been, essentially. I actually was reading an article, and in 2011, when Maryland was interviewing for head coaches to take over the position of Gary Williams, interesting names were being interviewed in this process. Uh, Jay Wright, who's now the coach of Villanova, was apparently at the top of Maryland's wish list. Sean Miller, who was a pretty good coach at Arizona, got a lot of wins with that program. He was also up there as a top candidate. So, Jalen, I'll start with you because it I think it's interesting of not only what we could have had, but also the possibility of what we can have, because Maryland is such a coveted coaching job. So this is a two-part question, but where do you think Maryland could be if there was a different head coach besides Mark Turgeon? And then also, who do you think? will coach this team next season.
1: So Sean Miller is tricky because of everything, uh, you know, that happened, you know, in terms of fundings and such. But I guess in the NIL er- era, he would probably be a little bit more solid. Um, but no, in all seriousness, I think I think the main one, obviously we're all going to harp on the fact that like we missed. On, <laughs> we're all going to harp on the fact that we missed on Jay Wright, which really sucks because, you know, I was talking about the, the production of pros uh, with Turgeon earlier and that's what Jay Wright has been able to do with Villanova consistently, right? Be able to still guys that are able to play both sides of the ball, um, are consistently consistent at whatever it is that they specialize in, right? Uh, we've seen Brunson be a, a legit ball handler for Dallas. We've seen Mikael Bridges be exactly the three and D wing that he was projected to be. Um, and you kind of go through and you even look at some of the uh, some of the other guys that have come through Villanova's program. Even now, I mean, even now, Villanova is still one of those teams that. You know the Big East is actually like scary solid like this year, right? like Yukon's good, Providence is like actually pretty good this year. but Villanova is just th- th- that's just that's the standard bearer, right? and that's kind of like when you when you think about especially when you think about a move, going back to your uh, one of your older questions, right, about moving to from the ACC to the Big Ten, that's the kind of coach that you want to have when you make a play like that, right is a coach? that like when your program is in standard bearer mode and you move into what would be considered I guess higher level competition so to speak and, um over the last couple of seasons that's the kind of coach you want to have you don't want to have the middle of the pack coach that happens to kind of keep you keep you afloat because what's 500 in the ACC is not 500. For example, in the Big Ten, if we're talking about just, like, the, tr- like the, the transfer from, uh, one, from one to the other in terms of, like, the playing style, the expectation overall, right, um, for what's considered to be a winning program. So, I think the biggest thing when you talk about the two guys that we, quote, unquote, whiffed on, uh, more so with Jay Wright, is just the fact that we kind of, you know, went to battle with a guy who definitely... You know, didn't age well, I guess, so to speak, in terms of his uh, ability to put out, you know, quality product on the court on a regular basis. And here's a, a whole separate thing that, like, has kind of nothing to do with like coaching in particular, but I do, do think has an impact on guys that that play for him. Is like I've spoken with my my like with turjan before, like as part of like an internship I did with the uh with uh, the Press Box Online Magazine and. When we did interview stuff with him, he w- he was like, there's such thing as, like, the coach's answer, and then there's, like, something beneath that in terms of not wanting to give you anything, right? And I sometimes wonder if that closed-mindedness had any kind of impact on his ability to coach his guys. Um, that's something that only the players underneath him could actually really speak on, but I do kind of wonder if, like, that coach's speak is something that, like, weighs on guys you know in terms of the idea that like sometimes you kind of just need a rah-rah coach and for a team that like hasn't really had a ton of excitement around the program in a while not having a rah-rah guy kind of almost feel like it went to Maryland's detriment rather than being something that was like oh we're going to be the low-key team in the Big Ten that just you know takes lunches and names and then moves on and has a pretty solid like Big Ten record so I don't know. I think especially looking at the two guys that were like, quote, unquote, top candidates for us back when Turgeon was picked up, you know, you look at it and again, we, like I said earlier, it didn't age well. But I think one of the bigger things you look at, too, is just the fact that the guys that were probably above him in the pecking order are guys that I feel like would have had more immediate success which would have made even if like the last couple of years were duplicated of what turgeon has done their immediate success would have made it where we wouldn't have had beef with an extension for example right because 2019 and 2020 was solid but because we didn't get to see them in the tournament when we wanted to maybe be hype about the fact that maryland might have been looking good again because of no tournament, we didn't know if that was just oh man, there goes Turgeon trying to save his job by coaching himself up a regular season so he can get that extension, only to see him get you know burned in the playoffs, basically, or burned in the postseason. So I mean, that's the main thing, you know. Reminiscing on coaches, it feels worse once you see the names. Once Ryan threw us the names, that's where it, that's where it really hurts.
0: I actually was listening on uh, one hundred five point seven, the fan, the local uh, sports radio station, when they. Uh, mentioned the names of Jay Wright and Sean Miller and what we could have had. I was like, I was like, you gotta be kidding me. We could have had them like before they went to their other schools and did did uh and had the success that they had at Villanova and Arizona respectively. I couldn't believe it when I heard that for the first time. Brooks, I want to transition to you on this one because again, like what this is kind of a situation of what what the things that ha- that could have happened with the coach we could have had. Um so the same two part question to you, Brooks. Where do you believe Maryland could be if they had a different coach, and who do you think coaches in twenty twenty two?
3: Um, just to start it off, right? Uh, at the time, or if, if okay, if we had Jay, right? I think th- I think we would have been duplicating the, um, success as far as like at least being and then lead a final four contender, um, being able to actually. Do- that's because that's what Jay Wright is really good at being able to do. I mean, you think about again Jalen Bronson, who was a All American, uh, McDonald's All American. You think about Phil Booth. You think about um, current guys like Justin Moore, uh, Ryan Archedino from you know he's where well, he played for the Bulls. Uh, yeah, R- Ryan
0: Archidiakono.
3: Yeah, yeah. You yeah. you think about like all of these great guards that he was able to develop. Like, there's no reason why someone like a Melo or a Des Wells or a Rasheed Suleiman or uh, Terrell Stoglin, whoever it may have been, wouldn't have been a great, great guard at Maryland and wouldn't have had some type of stellar career or a solid career in the NBA. There's no reason why you can't see that. Um, But that being said, I think at that time, J. Wright was coming off a couple of bad seasons. He, you know what I mean? The, the Villanova wasn't Villanova that we know now. You know, they were struggling. They were. He was recruiting people that you shouldn't have been recruiting. He was recruiting to get McDonald's All-Americans. And that's not who Villanova is. And that's probably what, that's not what Maryland is either. You know, what I mean, you got to get, I feel like those those hard nosed two way guys that's going to be able to, you know, get some buckets whenever you need them to, you know, they're going to be able to just put on their hard hat and lead you to success. And I feel like that's what he would have brought to Maryland. I feel like the same, same, it's the same, well, it happened with Sean Miller as well. So I think the team would have been a whole lot better. Um, I don't know. It's just, you think about it and you think about the success that they both had. Sean Miller, you know, he's kind of like burned off into flames, uh, you know, with everything that he's that he's got going on. But you know, it, it's it's a great situation. It could have been a great situation either way. Again, I blame the administration just for being okay with mediocrity. I mean, I brought up Ralph Fridgen. I also think about Gary Williams. Maybe he got forced out. You know, what I mean, they we say that he got he just decided to retire. But I, you know, I used to work at a at a country club. And um, he's a member there, and whenever you would talk about Maryland, it just seemed like he still had that fire in his eyes to want to continue coaching. So I feel like it probably wasn't a decision that he made. It's probably a decision that he got made for him. And I think even with Mark Garrett, with Gary Williams refusing ever to recruit DC Premier guys, he probably would have been okay with recruiting uh, Team Takeover, uh, the new DC Premier. Um, team Durant, you know, whatever it may have been. Those guys might have been someone that he wanted to go after. And I take chances with him more than I would take chances with Mark Turgeon because he was willing to do it with, you know, guys from Baltimore. So,
0: yeah. Ian, given everything that you've heard so far with the question that I've posed to uh, Jalen and Brooks, where, where do you think Maryland could be if there was a different coach? And who do you think will be the coach? Of maryland in 2022
2: uh, i mean i think with a different coach this year i think we could still have been an ncaa caliber team again it's just depending on i mean ncaa tournament caliber team excuse me depending on a couple things obviously we talked about shooting but there are some other things that you know we need to take care of like you know uh, the consistency of playmaking that's one thing that we need to take into account as well but other than that I mean, I still think we could have been, you know, with the right coaching uh, NCAA tournament caliber team, not saying like we're going to be one of the best teams, more so along the lines of, okay, this team has upset potential type of thing. Um, Next year, I kind of have my eyes on two guys. I I agree with uh, like J-Reck would be a dream, but look, like kind of like Brooks was like we talked about earlier, kind of Brooks was saying he's grounded in Nova. I don't think there's any way he's ever leaving unless they do him dirty in some type of way. I have eyes on on three people. One sort of a long shot. Two is it could happen. Uh, one is Sean Miller. Uh, we talked about him, but uh, recruiting wise, outstanding for good and wrong reasons. But you mean look, he's found ways to recruit whether it be cheating or not cheating. But hey, you know he he's found a way to make an Arizona team before he was there kind of mediocre. That was mediocre to a team that people you know take seriously in the in the Pac-12. Um, and then you look at another coach. Also, also on top of that, apparently when um, he was up for uh, I think a Maryland job way earlier, um, like I think this was before the Turgeon extension, like he did meet with Maryland officials, but then he ultimately chose Arizona. So that's another reason why. This one I'm very high on, and I actually think it could very much so happen is Mike Bray from uh, Notre Dame. Granted, they haven't had the best couple of seasons, but when you look at what he has produced and who he has produced um, in the league now, and then on top of that, you know, what he could bring to a to a, to the table like Maryland, he could be pretty solid. He already has Maryland connections. He grew up in Bethesda, if people didn't even know that, so that's also a plus. Um, you guy talk, as well. Yeah, you want to talk at the Matthew guy as well. You want to talk about a guy who can actually would be far so open to recruiting out of the DMV one, and then already has that tenure of having coached top 10 top five teams of Notre Dame in the past with guys like Pat Connaughton and all of them. He could be pretty solid depending on who he brings in. The third one would be a dream for me. And I've loved what he done with this team It's just a long shot because I don't think Maryland would be willing to buy out his contract is Bruce Pearl with Auburn. I don't think they would be able to do that. I don't think they would be able to do that because you have to buy out his contract with them. But you want to talk about a guy that recruits well. You want to talk about a guy that fits everything value-wise for Maryland. You want to talk about a guy that can produce guys who are not only aggressive on the defensive end, but can shoot lights out. Auburn, do you want to know how okay they were before Bruce Pearl got there? They went from, okay, we'll, we'll be okay or decent in the SEC to, look, we are a Final Four team. Bruce Pearl is like that, dude. And it's, one, it's, and it's also because he is a player's coach dude that's what we needed for so many years so many years so that's a dream I don't think it'll happen but because we need to do we need to buy out his contract um but that's a dream for me you want to talk about a guy that hones in on everything on both ends of the floor um I'll say it is we, we get Bruce Pearl we ain't we ain't, we're not going to be 310th in three-point percentage, okay? Anyway, but uh, that's that's my dream. But realistically, I say, I'd say uh, uh, Mike Bray um, or Sean Miller, but my dream would be um, Bruce Pearl. I could see it happening with
0: the only case that does Maryland have money that they can not only buy out Turgeon's contract, because Turgeon looks like he's gonna get bought out. Um, five Five billion dollars is what the price tag is for that. But will they have to buy out?
1: Wait, five million uh, or five billion? Hold no, on. No, five million.
0: Oh, million. okay. I yeah. was like, oh, I thought I, was
2: saying, I, what coach is thought game I heard one million too, yeah. though. I oh, I heard cool. Bill too. I thought to sure I, to no, I heard billion too. I heard. Nah,
0: nah, that's It's million. That's <laughs> a but, lifetime uh, contract. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, so five million for Turgeon is what Maryland's going to have to buy out for um, his contract, and then. Um, whatever Bruce Pearl is to, because I'm, I'm not sure what his contract situation looks like with Auburn, but with what he's been able to do with that program, getting Jabari Smith, Walker Kessler as well, who really wasn't getting a lot of playing time at North Carolina ends up transferring to Auburn. He was, he's been great. He's been great for that team. You know, I mean that, that front core duo is something that Maryland should aspire to have with Dante Scott and Kudus Wahab. And I think that's, that that's what they sh- they should be essentially. I just wanted to get uh, your quick reactions, real quick, Jalen and Brooks, to uh, Bruce Pearl possibly becoming a Maryland head coach. But uh, what the likelihood is before we move on to uh, the Maryland season itself?
1: That's bonkers. I'm gonna tell you straight up, that is that would be crazy. But what I will say, what I will say on this one is. Whether whether Ian meant to do this or not, he wished for Josh Richardson on the Boston Celtics, and it happened. So I'm I'm gonna just kind of lean with faith on this one because it did it did happen. Like I said, it's leaning with blind faith, but I'm gonna just kind of you know I'm gonna just kind of see see what it do. But realistically, and it's working. It's just like that's a lot of bread. Like between between the two of them, the buy the original buyout and then the new buyout, which is gonna have to be a re up, right? Obviously, that's the biggest thing too. But the question that everybody's been basically asking without putting it blatantly is what is Maryland from an AD standpoint ready to do in terms of turning the program around? Because the question now comes to Brooks kind of mentioned this earlier in terms of when we were talking about changing conferences, this idea that they almost tried to turn themselves into a football school and messed everything up. So the question now is where does your loyalty lie or what is the game plan to be able to put yourself in the right position right now. Because between both sports, it ain't, we ain't doing too hot. So now the question is, you have to pick whatever you feel like is the best option in order to put the school back on the map athletically. So, I mean, if that's basketball, then it's time to put, you know, the money where your mouth is. Is this hefty of a price? Uh, Maybe, maybe what, what, I'm, what I have in mind, it might be a little steep. But like nonetheless, the idea has to be that like whatever it whatever move they make next will give me the biggest indication of where their commitment is in terms of this basketball program. If they stick with Danny, I think that it's blind faith. Even if the season goes well, I feel like there would be more blind faith than anything. If they go for a middle of the pack type guy, not somebody who jumps off the page, I think it's their way of trying to make a smooth transition without creating a lot of noise. Um and if they go for a out of this world name Bruce Pearl, obviously is like definitely at the top of that list in terms of somebody that would be kind of out of pocket um then we're talking about something that can kind of disrupt the the uh the uh the flow in the big Ten in terms of like the overall hierarchy so you know is Bruce Pearl like the end goal i mean it it should be if you're a fan, but I think the biggest thing is like the bigger the splash move. The more committed we have, an under the more committed we feel, or the more committed we should feel that they are to the basketball program. So it just kind of depends.
3: Honestly, Jalen mentioned the fact that you know Mark Turgeon wasn't necessarily a raw, raw guy. I mean, that's who you get when you get a Bur- a Bruce Pearl, Pearl guy who, like, who is a players' coach and who is like I-, I think he truly loves the game of basketball. I think he truly loves his players. I think you would get the very, very best out of the players that you bring to Maryland. I think he would be like the perfect hire, if if not the best hire that they made in a, in a little while. So, in my wildest dreams, I would love to have him there. I would love to just again have a coach who's gonna get his players to just have, have you know that hard hat mentality and you know just well, I work everybody because I mean otherwise how are you gonna be able to build a program correctly? So I think that's something that he could do. If Shaka Smart didn't go to like Marquette or if someone someone of that caliber didn't go to, you know, wherever they were at, I would love to have a type of coach like that. So, you know, my wildest dreams, I agree with with Ian and Jalen, I would love to have a Bruce Pearl. Yeah, it
0: definitely seems like a good choice of what he's done at the University of Auburn, but I want to move on to the team itself because th- this is something that, you know, the, the team has had to deal with. They've had to deal with a coaching change they've had to deal with one of their teammates leaving the program and entering the transfer portal. And James Graham, we didn't really talk about his impact that that much uh, for what he could do as from a uh, shooting standpoint. I mean, he was brought into the university of Maryland to be a shooter. He's been a great mid range shooter. That's what we knew about him. We knew he was a great three, uh, three point shooter. We knew he was a great uh, free throw shooter. You know, he just had the ability to put up 50, 40, 90 splits. You know, that, that was his potential, essentially, at Maryland. And now he's leaving the program to enter the transfer portal, and he's actually getting looked at by some other programs as well. I think Indiana's one of them. They're taking, a, they're taking a look at James Graham. But let's talk about the team season so far. Five and four. Their next game is against number 20 Florida at home on Sunday. What are some takeaways that you have from this team through nine games? Jalen, I want to start with you. <laughs>
1: That's that's the that's the way to summarize it. But like, truthfully, looking at it, there's two things that stand out to me the most. The first one is the fact that, like uh, Ian was mentioning earlier, a lot more blatantly than I'm going to. But the three point shooting has been horrific um, amongst the country. Obviously, that number looks a lot worse. But overall, if you just look amongst their team, they quite literally only have one guy shooting better than 40% from three, and he only takes less than three of them a game. That's Hakeem Hart. So that's not good either, which is kind of scary because I think, if, if I'm not mistaken, I'm d- double-checking now, but it's scary because amongst the Big Ten, they're actually like top five in attempts from three, which is also the scary part because for a team that does not shoot them well, they do not need to be shooting that many. And Ryan, I think you've touched on this before, like actually like this feels like awkwardly deja vu about like a different like a different season. It might have even been last year where we were. It, it was last year. year. It was last yeah. year. Yeah. And it was just like this idea that it's like, Lord, for a team that doesn't shoot three well, why do they keep going up? Like it's kind of like it's actually kind of disturbing <laughs> uh, to watch a watch a play style like that. Um, but the second thing, too, is just the play of Eric Ayala has been a little bit underwhelming. And I wasn't expecting him to come out and be like a 20-point-per-game score or anything like that. I felt like that would have been kind of asking him for a hefty price. But, like, let's just look at him from last season to this year. He's down in points per game by two points per game. He's not even averaging a steal a game as opposed to before. He was averaging nearly a steal and a half. A little bit better in the assist department, a little bit better in the rebounding department. I will give him that. But the three-point shooting is significantly down by nearly, like, yeah, by nearly 50%, which is like crazy. Uh, Or excuse me, not 50%, by nearly 5%, which is kind of nuts. And then even like the main one that stands out, he shot 55% from two last year. He's shooting under 38% from two this year. And if your lead guard, if your lead guy, let's not even limit this to, to guards. If your lead guy is shooting 33% from the floor, you have a lot of problems that that start at the top because that is your primary decision maker your primary ball handler and I would argue on this this makeup of the roster he's also the guy that you're asking to lean on in close situations in close games Ryan I think that's why you mentioned this earlier you said this team could easily be 9-0 and because there's a lot of games that just simply they did not close (laughs) if if Eric Ayala if this is how Eric Ayala is going to play he cannot be your closer, which is half the different, half the half the the battle in terms of the difference between winning some of these games and and losing. And if we if if we're if we're really respectful about it, like actually go through like the games themselves, right? Like I I'll, I'll pull it up real quick. Listen, I can't act like they've completely like folded the bag. I mean, they have pretty solid wins in here. I think Vermont's probably the most notable victory they have. I think beating Richmond is like pretty solid as well. But I, I especially know that these last three games, if we talk about these last three games in particular, it just seemed like the difference between a couple of possessions here and there. And again, when you don't have a closer that you can lean on, that's really the difference. I do think that Maryland has had guys that it could be considered go-to guys in the past. And it feels like this year we don't have one at all. This was something that I was
0: talking about in the uh, Maryland breakdown. My uh, weekly segment that airs um, every week. The Maryland Terrapins men's basketball team do not have an offensive identity. Mm-hmm. There are times where I w- where I look at this team, and I'm not sure what their offensive system is. Most of the time, it's having Fats Russell lead the fast break and trying to create something from there, or it's Kudos Wahab playing a one-on-one matchup down low and then four out. Essentially, that's what I've I've gathered from most of the games that I've seen from this team. and it's just it's, it's frustrating to not see them have an offensive identity almost 10 games into the season and especially when you're trying to compete for a big 10 championship. But uh, Brooks I want to I continue this question with you because I've seen Maryland this entire season and you know it just seems like the same issues that are occurring from last year. How do you feel and what are your takeaways from Maryland basketball this season through nine games?
3: I'll add another issue is is ball security. You know, this team is averaging just as many turnovers as they did last year. And, you know, you still have Eric Ayala there. And, I mean, it just – I don't know what's going on with these guys. Um, It's just been an underwhelming year from putting confidence within Mark Turgeon again just because he had a great – or he had a solid um run to the the, the postseason. I mean, it just feels like again, we're just accepting mediocrity. It feels like we're just there to be there. We're just hooping the hoop. You know what I mean? Like Eric Ayala came back to become more of an NBA prospect. So far, he's he's just struggling. He's just not him right now. And I think it's because you know they're not, they're not allowing him to get downhill and they're not allowing him to get to his spots. And you know, if you're supposed to be a closer and you're supposed to be the guy for this team, you should have been able to develop over the summer enough to be like, hey, you know what? This is this is where I can bread, I can butter my bread. Um, this is where I can actually show off my where I'm great for the NBA. And he just doesn't, he just isn't showing off that NBA, um, NBA skill that I guess you know, like what E and I, he and I were talking about the other day. Like, in order to become a great prospect, in order to be a, a good draft pick. What do you elite at? You know what I mean. You think about Jalen Smith. You think about Anka or not Anka. You think about a Melo Trimble like this. You think about a Diamond Stone. but with their great skills? Rebounding, uh, blocking shots, being being a uh, a shot distributor or a shot disruptor. You think about pick and rolls and being able to draw fouls. Do any of these guys on this roster have a skill that's translatable to the pros? That's going to be able to you know give them staying power in the league. And I don't think that's anybody. And that's the problem with this team. I think everybody else. Has something like that in the Big Ten. So, you know, if you're able to recruit that, then that's the main thing that you got to be looking at going forward.
1: I want to say something real quick because there's one other thing. Editor Jalen, make sure you clip this because this is clutch right here. If Maryland does not unleash Julian Reese, I, I think that's the that's the main thing, right? Okay. Shout out to Homie real quick because we've been we've been dragging this team from, from a Boston construction standpoint. Shout out St. Francis for real. Because I'm about to to go in for this one for a second. Because this, this is the homie. This is the homie for real. And he's playing 18 minutes a night. The dude is averaging three offensive rebounds a game. He only averages just under five rebounds total a game. The dude's getting nearly eight points a game right now. Like I said, eight points a game, nearly five rebounds a game. On top of that, he's got a block and a half a game. This isn't 18 minutes, right? We're talking about, like, Ian, this is a great enough reference. This is like the little glimpses we used to get of Robert Williams once upon a time, right, in terms of the idea that in short bursts, the dude would give you buckets, he would give you disruption, he would give you activity, right? Julian Reese, in short bursts, in 18 minutes, coming off the bench, playing all nine games, by the way, has been available, has been really solid. 55% 55% from the floor, second best on the, second best on the team behind his, only Cutus Wahab. And Julian Reese only has one less field goal attempt than Cutus. Cutus plays 20 minutes a game. So from a big rotation standpoint, it's not like they're leaning on Wahab to do anything specific. These two can crash the glass. These two are solid rebounders, and they're not getting a ton of offensive responsibility. All I'm saying is just from an activity standpoint, right? You you we're in we're in throw with we're in throw darts at the wall and see what sticks mode, right? In terms of the early season for Maryland. Let this man Julius Reese like off the leash for real. I'm not in free that man territory yet because I just want to see this dude do what he has to do, do what I know he's capable of doing with Maryland before we start throwing out the red the white flag. But realistically, for somebody that's giving this team that much production within short bursts. On both sides of the floor, especially on the offensive glass, that is crazy that if you look at it, the next best player in terms of offensive rebounding is Qtis Wahab, and he's at 1.8. So it's nearly a, nearly a full rebound, nearly a full rebound, you near know, two rebounds ahead in just barely a couple minutes less. I think that that's something worth experimenting with. Julian Reese was one of the prospects that was brought in over, over the offseason from a recruiting standpoint. And I understand there's this idea that this is a very like veteran litter team between the transfer pole, portal and everything else. But let this man work. Let, let this man work. So that, that's my little PSA for, for Danny Manning. Let this dude let this dude eat. Let this man work.
3: Before you move on to Ian, Ryan and Jay, I want to say this too. Um, between the two of them, between QDIS and between Julian Reese. I honestly think Julian Reese probably doesn't have like that hunger mentality just from like what I've seen of him playing before. But right now when you think up when you talk about the fact that he's putting up 3 rebounds, 3 offensive rebounds per game along with like, you know, just like eight in general, like that's incredible to me. He's like again, he's putting on that hard hat and he's actually winning the battle. Cutest Wahab, I really feel like he he did him just he did himself a disservice or his handlers did himself a disservice by telling him leave Patrick Ewing, leave Georgetown and go to this major program in Maryland. And, you, like, you see it in, in what he's putting out there as, as a product. Like, the dude is just willing to just put up whatever shots he can. It's ridiculous. And, I, again, I think he did himself a disservice. I think they should let Julian Reese, you know, just go wild a little bit more because the dude is definitely, like, very much willing to actually battle out there and make a difference to this team. And that's what you need right now to, like, actually inspire these people, inspire your teammates. So I think, Julian, I, I, I'm, I'm with you, Jen, and I think you should get some more burn out there.
0: I just think it's interesting, but I I have to kind of break this down a little bit because I think Julian Reese has all the potential in the world to win the Big Ten Freshman of the Year. But is there a reason why he's not on the same court as Kudus Wahab? Is it because they have differing play styles? Is there a skill that they do that's like similar? Because I I think the big thing, the one thing we haven't really seen this season was Julian Reese and Kudus Wahab on the floor together. Now. Kudus Wahab, I think, is good at certain situations. If you game plan for him in a one-on-one matchup, that's where he's going to thrive. You put him in a double team, no, he can't come out of a double team. Julian Reese is athletic. Julian Reese can get out of double teams, and he can also get those offensive rebounds, much like Kudus Wahab. Why not put them on the floor together, I think is my question. Ian, I'll start with you.
2: Um, it's only one answer, and it's spacing. That's it. That's literally it. Um, I would say that if he did shoot a better clip from 3, which he doesn't, which he really doesn't, sadly. Um, well, I mean, he'll improve. He's a freshman. He'll improve. Hopefully, dude. Anyway, man, (laughs) look but i I just it's just spacing like if he was if he had a better clip from three I think you would see more time with him and uh, cutis on the on the floor but as of where it stands right now I, I it would hurt my eyes especially you, I mean Brooks knows he's seen me play as a shooter it would hurt my eyes to just see nobody shoot so um, granted it already does hurt my eyes in general but um, no, it's, it's, it's literally just spacing The one thing I did want to talk about and I don't want to do a hard pivot But we did mention Eric Ayala a lot Whew, What a tough time for him, dude Because one of the reasons you did come back You know, from you know trying to test your waters um, Was that, oh, maybe Turgeon can help me In some sense be a better NBA draft guy Well, technically he's not now But um, also he's playing worse than he did last year so, I mean, I just feel bad for him in a sense. So hopefully he can turn it around as, you know, we uh, closer to the midpoint, midpoint of the season. Hopefully he can turn that around. But as it looks right now, it's, it's kind of what we saw with some other guys who should have left um, earlier on. Granted, uh, Melo wanted to just get his degree and all that type of stuff. But there were talks, especially when he was going crazy in March Madness, what, three or four, maybe even five years back, that he should have left immediately right then and there. But again, with Eric, hopefully he does get drafted. I mean, Aaron Wiggins got drafted. I, I mean, I thought there were some other guys that could have been drafted before him, but he did get drafted. It's it, He still has somewhat of a chance. That's my thing. It's just, ooh, it doesn't look as as good as a move as I thought it was going to be. Um, but yeah, just to answer the question, it's, it's this basic thing. Give uh, Julian Reese some time, because I agree with what everybody is saying. That man is athletic. If he can get to a point where he shoots at a higher clip from three, I mean, he's shooting, what, I think roughly... I don't know, like 40, give give or take 40, 45% from the field, like in general, but give or take, if he can get his three point up, I mean, who says his potential can't get even higher than it is now? But um, yeah, that's the only reason spacing, because the last thing I want to see is both of them in the paint. Honestly, just simple as that, but uh, yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah, We're I think that's that a great point. I mean, the spacing is really it. I mean, they're both two bruising centers. I mean, they're both, they both play really physical in the paint, and just spacing-wise, we're already talking about a team that shouldn't be shooting threes. That takes a lot of them. Well, I think the only thing that would benefit by them both playing next to each other would be the the, the, uh, the effect that it would have on the amount of shooting they would be able to do, right? they would be a much more physical team, which actually in retrospect doesn't sound as terrible as it might seem. Because for a team that needs to stop shooting, I think emphasizing spacing actually... Is hurting them right this idea that they're trying to become some kind of modern ball club when their team's makeup doesn't scream, uh, pace and space, right? It kind of screams play with the athleticism downhill, force free throw, uh, force, uh, the action, force contact, get, uh, get free throws, so on and so forth. So, I see what your point is because the idea of it would make them a more, much more physical team. And in the Big Ten, they're gonna they're gonna be they're gonna be seeing centers every day. Like they're gonna be seeing, and not just like scrubs not like scrub centers. They're gonna be seeing like legitimate dudes on a night to night basis. There's a Kofi Coburn one night. There's a, a Hunter Dickinson another night. Um, there's a pretty solid group of guys across the board when you when you look at like Wisconsin, for example, too. Like, like you know what I mean. So I I see your point. I think it's something that's worth experimenting with here and there. Um, And I think that's a great way to kind of address it is in, in like in little spurts. But my main thing, like I said, I'm not in free that man level yet, but I genuinely believe that they need to let Julian Reese off the off the leash because I feel like if they can if he if he is allowed to play an up tempo, up and down the court type of style in which he can kind of work and play within himself he would instantly have a punch on this team that I don't think anybody else from an athleticism and build standpoint can give them. There's anybody that can be like the breakout player for the Terps to put them in, in the, in the discussion that we want them in this year. Right. Which is like a legitimate team in the big 10, which granted this year, we're not banging the door for it as much. But what I'm saying is if we want to start making a push towards being a legitimate team, in the big 10, if there's a player that we have to lean on, for example, to unlock this team, to to become something of that, it would be Julian Reese to me because he has all the upside in the world. To the point that right, then we see this with uh with sticks like we like Brooks was talking about earlier? As a guy around the rim, wasn't fooling with him defensively and offensively. It was one of those things where he opened things up for everybody else. Um, you want to talk about? I mean, if we, I mean, I don't want to go too deep in the bag, but if you really like look at the teams that we've had beforehand, there's always been. The, the, when the team has been solid, there's always been a tone setter guy. And that's what I was saying earlier was like, right now, we don't really have one. That dude, that dude is for real him. Like like when we talk about the guy who could really pop the top off this team and turn them into something way better than the way, what they are now. You talk about needing to unlock somebody. Aaron Wiggins, I felt like, was that guy who we didn't get to tap into too much last season. Um, just because he he's that guy that had the athleticism and actually could stretch the floor, unlike uh, Reese right now. I think in a in a much more refined kind of way, that Reese can be that dude.
0: So, Brooks, before I get Ian's takeaways, I wanted to get your perspective on the idea of joining Reese and Cruz while I'm on the same floor. And if it doesn't work, is it because of spacing issues?
3: I think that's the only reason why it wouldn't work. I mean... I'll, I'll give Julian, I'll give Julian Reese some credit in the fact that he's, he can shoot free throws, so it's not like he's and unable to actually shoot beyond just the paint, like, if he really wanted to, he could develop a mid-range, and that could just be, like, another great skill to his back that he can, you know, I could hopefully translate to wherever he goes, you know, the next level, but, um, again, I just... I'm just of the of the mindset that Qtis Wahab isn't necessarily that guy that people think he or that he thinks he is, that his hander thinks he is. I think that's one that, that's, I think this is gonna, I think that's the thing that's gonna hold back this team a little bit more, as, as, along with the fact that like Eric Ayala just isn't playing that hot right now. You know what I mean? So if it, if it comes down to them playing together and being like a Twin Towers, ooh, it's gonna be a great defensive. They're gonna have a great Twin Towers there. They're gonna have a great, you know, inside that's actually not going to be able to get fucked with at all. But otherwise, like, it's just going to be a nightmare on on offense. How is Eric Hagler going to be able to go down downhill? Like, how's anybody else going to be really able to contribute? Because again, this is what they're a 312 three-point shooting team, 10. 310th? Like, that's not going to look very good. That's not going to be a great product on the floor. That's you're not going to want to watch that very much. So, you know, we'll we'll see what happens though.
0: Before we close this episode out, Ian, takeaways from the first nine games of the season for the Maryland Terrapins.
2: Oh, man, let me be PG. Okay. Um, look, when you're only being Hostra by two points, that's when I knew the season was over. I did. Mm-hmm. I really did. Hofstra, two points. I mean, good, I mean, good job. We won. Cool. But two points. Okay. Look, I mean, have we had some convincing wins? I mean, sure, like Quinnipiac. I mean, you're supposed to do that. That's just season opener. I mean, you're supposed to do stuff like that. Um, I mean, I think Jalen brought it up. Richmond's a solid one, too. They've been pretty solid, okay, this year. But, uh, I mean, through nine, we could be better. I don't know about you know, if we had a different coach or if we, you know, played some guys differently, be nine and oh, no, I I think it'd be like seven and two, eight and one, depending on a couple of things. But uh, look, my outlook is, look, I came into this year, like like someone came to me and was like, oh, Maryland's high up on the uh, preseason AP polls. I'm like, I don't care. I, I told him, I was like, I don't care. The last thing I'm gonna do to myself is believe that. And I was right to not believe that. Look, believing in Maryland right now is like believing Uh, when you know a zodiac girl like zodiac signs like when girls tell you zodiac signs exist and not exist not not exist more so along the lines that they're why you are today they're not like the zodiac signs from Maryland before the year was saying oh they're going to be great great fortune in their future or whatever we're five and four and we just (laughs) lost our head coach Am I wrong? Am I wrong? No. This is why I don't believe in this team. I don't believe in Zodiac signs. I'm a Pisces. But look, I could go on the street today and tell a girl who believed in Zodiac signs that I don't believe in them and I was a Capricorn, she'd be like, oh, that's exactly like a Capricorn. I'm like, joke's on you. I'm a Pisces. That's what Maryland's doing to us. They came in. <laughs> we came in. Oh, man, they're going to be a top 25 team all year. <laughs> joke's on you. We suck. <laughs> I'm sorry oh, to
1: say
0: it, bro. bro. Yo, that that is fire. crazy, bro. That's fire. Oh my gosh. Oh that's my fire God. Fire. On that note, what a way to end the episode, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a clip right there. No,
3: no, Yo, that's, for real, a though, like,
2: geez, that's a clip. That's a
3: clip. Oh my goodness. Oh, man. That's,
2: <laughs> that's a clip. That's a great outro, though. <laughs> I'm going to lie to you. Oh. Somebody get um, the, 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 the Wayne flick, the, the light flick. <laughs> It's not wrong oh, bro. Should we even introduce a question of the day at this point? No, I, please, please do please I, do. Okay.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, question of the day for our fans, where do you believe Maryland will finish as uh, where do you believe Maryland will finish at the end of this season? We want to ask uh, Ian and Brooks real quick before we head off. Do you guys have anything to promote with what you guys have been doing uh, with your podcast or just anything that you guys have done so far?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I've been out for a little bit, kind of adjusting to ATL life and Bleacher Report got me doing a lot, but yes, um, yeah, they're working me, dude. I will say that. But um, in terms of, uh, you yeah, know, I'll promote work, I guess. Um, I'm working on a whole bunch of BR kick stuff. So we have some shows this week. If you want to tune in, that's cool. We're doing sneaker of the year, all that type of stuff. So if you're a big sneaker head, if you're not sure, who cares? But if you're a big sneakerhead, we have, like, two or three shows coming up that I've been working on. So that's one thing. But besides work, um, been out on the podcast for a little bit, but I'm back this week, tomorrow, um, getting some NFL. And then the week after that, I'm bringing the guys on in here for some NBA, which has been far overdue. So, Um, yeah, stay tuned because we got a lot coming up. Brooks, how about you, man?
3: As far as me, um, I mean, HMO podcast yesterday – yesterday – we did a uh, a video reacting to an SB Nation video about uh, Will Chamberlain and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's beef. Uh, had a good time doing that. So check that out whenever it comes out. Um, check out Slam and their Newswire, the NBA Newswire, because that's what I edited uh, daily now. You know, I'm getting my big boy job. So, you know, very proud of that opportunity there. And uh, just stay tuned for that.
0: All right, well, this has been another great episode of the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We will see you guys next episode.
1: Peace.